This is World Beyond War, a new podcast. Welcome, my name is Greta Zaro. I'm the organizing director of World Beyond War, a global grassroots network advocating for the abolition of war and its replacement with a just and sustainable peace. I'm joined today by my co-host, Mark Elliott Stein, technology and social media director for World Beyond War. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Greta. Welcome, everybody. The World Beyond War podcast is a human interest podcast. We are emphasizing storytelling and personal expression, and we feature stories of grassroots organizers, educators, artists, and activists, and organizations around the world working to promote peace and an end to militarism and war. And today's episode features one of World Beyond War's affiliate organizations, Visual Voices. Visual Voices is a nonprofit organization supporting youth artists from communities affected by violent conflict. Visual Voices brings together peace-building organizations, practitioners, and artists that recognize the value of arts-based interventions in peace-building and the power of art in peace advocacy. Visual Voices promotes the creation of contemporary visual art that reflects the desire for positive social change. And now let me introduce our guests today. The first is Alden Jacobs, Visual Voices Director of Program Development. He has extensive experience in community development around Latin America, Sub-Saharan Africa, and Europe. As a Rotary Peace Fellow at the Department of Peace and Conflict Research in Uppsala, Sweden, he researched the impact of arts-based peace building. With visual voices, he believes in creating opportunities for youth to share their voices and contribute to evolving societal narratives. Alden holds an MSS in Peace and Conflict Research from Uppsala University and a BA in International Studies from the University of Oregon, USA. Welcome, Alden. Thank you. Nice to be here. Our next guest is Marina Neofitu, Visual Voices Director of International Partnerships. She has extensive peace-building experience in arts-based practices, the use of digital technologies and grassroots approaches. Taking the lessons learned from her professional experience in strategy, operations, and campaigning to other post-conflict societies, she hopes to make a positive and lasting change in the lives of youth. She is an experienced director with demonstrated history of working in the CSO media, consulting, and advertising industries. Welcome, Marina. Hello. And our next guest is Perel Torgut. She is an emerging Cypriot artist. After completing both her fine art bachelor's and master's degrees at the University of Reading in the UK, she returned back to her home island to put her efforts and input into helping heal the artistic scene in Cyprus. Her work deals with amphibious and marine life, known or unknown creatures, in possible sea life habitations. Her abstract, realist paintings are often heavy with textured oil paints and vibrant colors that are unusual for certain scenarios, yet relatable to observers' moods. Heavy mass versus biomorphic figures, something that brings fear for not existing. Nevertheless, its potential of presence is real while coexisting. An uncertainty that takes over her practice, yet an exploration that provides confidence and inner peace. Welcome, Perel. Hi. All right, so let's jump in. Visual Voices has established a residency program for artists that teaches peace education and then produces artwork that reflects upon these experiences of violent conflict and uses art as a peace building tool. So we'd love to hear from you more about that work. What does that peace education work look like? And if you could tell us a little bit more about the curriculum that you use and, and how you combine peace education with the arts. 
So, I mean, it's a peace education curriculum that uh, we as Visual Voices have developed specifically for our artists in residence programs. Um, and we focus on an overview, I mean, working specifically with arts-based peace building. So that's kind of the, kind of the, the guidelines or the, the focus of the curriculum. But what's really important for us uh, throughout is that we're continually returning to two specific points. Um, and, this, and that's how peace building and peace education can relate to young artists and their work and their personal expression. Um, but also how this can be made positive, um, because especially within contexts that have been affected by violent conflict, when you only take in the perspective of, of one group or one and one artist, there is the potential that the artwork produced maybe from a different perspective is not promoting peace or positive social change in the uh, way that it was originally attended. So we do have some specific areas of focus. Uh, we're discussing positive and negative peace. Of course, I mean, in, in most uh, formal education, uh, secondary and university, peace education is often not touched upon. Uh, so there are some kind of basic concepts that we're looking into and exploring where young artists maybe haven't had the, the opportunity to explore that in their formal education. Also, uh, different types of violence, uh, cultural, structural, structural and direct violence, understanding these different forms, uh, how, maybe how they're present within the, the local context, um, and how these can be explored in different ways to understand the perspectives of different communities and then also uh, to present ways forward that could address um, some of these types of violence. Um, and also we're really looking at focusing on taking the perspectives of others, how this allows people in general, but also young artists to understand conflicts in different ways and then explore through personal reflection and group reflection how this can actually be used or how this can benefit uh, artistic expression uh, that has a positive meaning uh, for many different groups uh, within society specifically trying not to alienate uh, one community over another. Um, and then artists as social leaders. So really trying to emphasize that young artists are communicators. Uh, they have pre-existing uh, skills um, that allow them, their expression uh, to be understood by others within uh, their own communities, um, even beyond. We believe that we talk about kind of universal themes that can that are often coming out um, or challenges that are the result of, of violent conflict um, and how uh, the expression of an artist from one community can actually speak to uh, members of uh, other communities that uh, are not even necessarily within that that context or that region but have got undergone or their communities uh, have experienced similar challenges um, and looking at it from kind of this external position uh, can help them uh, also process uh, challenges that they face. 
Um, and then artistic activism um, in general. So uh, separating art, separating activism, exploring the, uh, the similarities and differences uh, between the two um, and trying to identify how artists can develop their skills um, while taking on an activist approach culture of peace and human rights. Uh, so really looking at the, the foundation of, of, of these principles, exploring these, familiarizing uh, oneself uh, with these, um, and then incorporating those uh, principles and ideals into their thought process uh, throughout the artistic process. And finally, how to turn art into measurable action throughout the, the creative process or anything trying to think from the beginning, how can uh, this artistic expression have an impact on the community? What research is necessary? Uh, what uh, exploration or conversations are necessary uh, to build a stronger understanding from the beginning that will allow for a more powerful artistic expression uh, with deeper meaning uh, that can be understood by a large uh, audience. And of course, um, during the residency, the artists have um, studio time and other practical cultural management uh, skills. So combining all of these elements together, we feel that the program is kind of well-rounded as a first step. I don't know if Pearl wants to say anything. I think I agree with everything. I don't think you left anything out, so that covers everything, I guess. <laughs> More than I can think of. How does your organization go about actually finding artists like Peril to connect with? And that question could also be to you, Peril. How did this organization <laughs> find you? Well, I'll start. I'll tell my side. Um, actually, someone sent it, sent it um, a little how do you say like um, a Facebook um, page that said that there's this opening for this residency and they sent it to me to actually spread it around and I asked could I apply for it actually me being an artist in Cyprus myself and they said yeah if you you can go through the requirements and you're suitable enough yes and I did and actually, I was a bit selfish on that note. I didn't send it to anyone else. But yeah, I did apply. And that's actually, it, it was quite coincident. It, it was very coincidental, actually, that I applied and got through. But yeah, I, I don't know about anything else. But mine was quite easy. And in our job that I did, that got me through all of these amazing things. So I'm very, very grateful at the end of, for this little coincidence that happened a few months ago. So yeah, I mean we are we are um, constantly actively uh, researching and looking for artists who come from this background or whose work is focusing on uh, peace building or peace activism. So internationally, we're connecting with uh, artists of all ages working uh, in this team, and also uh, with organizations that have uh, experience in art space peace building. So we're trying to create this international 
uh, network or ecosystem of um, like-minded uh, individuals and organizations. And uh, through this, um, once we, we design a program, a tailored kind of residency program for uh, the local uh, context that we're working with, uh, we are working with uh, local partners, um, and with our network to support us find artists to take part uh, in this residency. So after this residency program is completed, artists who have taken part in this, um, in this program become part of the network. And the idea is also to continue further um, activities uh, and networking opportunities um, that will support all these artists uh, and organizations in the long term. Yeah, I mean, it's basically, I mean, it's really kind of a process for us. I mean, we're starting kind of broader, like Marina said, uh, we're connecting with organizations and artists around the world. But a, a big part of that is that through this network, we're exploring one, if our, um, if they as partner organizations, collaborating organizations, believe that this would be valuable for their community and if they think that their network or young artists in their context would be interested in taking part. Um, so from there, uh, once we develop uh, project proposals with them, then uh, we can work kind of through existing networks to uh, spread information about the residency through an open call. Um, and hopefully have as many uh, young artists apply. And then, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a process. Mm -hmm. So once we have, once we can also build this network of, of, of artists that have participated in our activities, some, I guess, you know, an alumni network, um, we're very uh, interested and proactive in um, connecting uh, the organizations that we're working with the artists that we're working with and, and bringing them all together to have this kind of uh, exchange, sharing lessons learned, um, exploring the possibility for future collaborations that are uh, focused on peace building activities. And then, yeah, I mean, hopefully with that, uh, just bringing in more and more uh, organizations and individuals that are interested in uh, promoting positive social change both within their communities and also uh, linking internationally to, to create a larger movement. Wonderful. Well, yeah, so we've been talking about this concept of art as a peace building tool, and we want to dive into that a little bit more deeper. So maybe Perel, we could start with you of telling us more about your experiences with violence and war and militarism and how that has shaped your work and, and sort of driven you to, to use art as a peace building tool? Um, well, I'm pretty young in age to be able to tell you about war that happened in my country, in my island, on my island, whatever. Um, I'm, uh, I, have, I just heard about stories from my parents um, who were actually young when it happened anyways, or from my grandparents who um, told me about um, both sides of the stories as they as much as they could. I heard about all the joy they went through, they had before, and all the sorrow they had after. Um, but and I can only relate to it somewhat. Um, so I would rather not talk about that part because it's not my 
journey that I went through, so I can't really share that. But um, growing up in on this island, seeing the Turkish military on the north side and the Greek military on the other side, um, when I was small, I would always ask my parents, like, why, why, why are there soldiers everywhere? Because when when you go to, for a holiday and you see the whole country, you don't see um, military that much. You don't see soldiers everywhere. But here, well, you see parts of soldiers, not like they, they're roaming around, but you see enclosed spaces that uh, my grandparents would say like, oh, once upon a time, this place used to be this, this hotel, that hotel, that beach, and now it's enclosed by military. And you just start growing up wondering about these kind of things, like why did this happen? Like why, you, 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 as a child, you ask many questions and in, in a way, um, without experiencing it and just hearing about it and growing up with these um, and, and growing up to be an artist, hearing about these things affects you in a way. But I did, especially when I was um, in university, I tried to get away from these. Um, I tried to do um, things that weren't related the, with these conflicts that I learned growing up. Um, so I always found peace in, um, painting sea lives, let's say, which is actually true. Sea life has been always an ex escape for me. But once I came back to Cyprus this year and I and I was faced with all of this again, um, hearing about other people's um, um, experiences with art and trying to peace build in this country, in, on this island together, um, I started wondering, like, was it, was it good for my own sake to try and run away from this with sea life and find another solution in my own head, trying to get away from this conflict, like painting whales, um, playing with scales and all that. Yeah, that was fun and everything. But now that I'm back, I started thinking, what can I do? What can I do to help at least to my own conscience? Um, and that's when I started researching, especially through visual voices as well. And with this program, I started um, researching more on um, conflict, but conflict in in um, in more sensible way in my head, I guess, um, rather than just concentrating on everything like everyday life that is now for us of two communities having conflict and trying to find peace within that conflict. So my way of um, dealing with this was looking at conflict that is within our seas in, in the Mediterranean and that concerns both sides of the island. Um, so looking at um, conflict at sea that uh, mostly concerns turtles that is more relatable, like non-political relatable thing for me that has on that that is on the both sides of the island was turtles so what i did was i took that turtle um um subject and those figures that are that mean a lot to both both sides of the island and turned that turned those in my paintings into um stories of um post-war families in a way so um my turtles that i paint tell a story that happened many years ago that don't really affect me um, in my everyday life, but it does affect our community, which um, is relatable, relatable by both communities. So I guess in a way, if my painting is not helping for peace building, it's helping for peace awareness in a way. That's how I see it now. But it's only been six or seven months that I'm 
into this. So we'll see where that takes me. Piro, by the way, we should mention that anybody can Google your name and find your website. I'm looking at your website and I really do love the work you do. <laughs> Um, I have I have more than a few websites. I don't oh, know which one right? you're looking for, <laughs> but yeah. I'm looking at the but one yeah. with your name, but I see your Instagram as well. Um, <laughs> okay. So I, you know, when I hear your story about um, these marine images, um, I do I do feel I understand the connection, and also I sense maybe there's a sense of escapism. Uh, I'm curious if that's part of. Um, <laughs> You know, if if the if the marine world and the sea is a contrast to um, to the troubles that you you have observed, or if it's um, a different type of connection, and I also I notice on the website I I see um, there is a, a cool contrast between the images, which are very much a, um, marine bodies, and words that you add, for instance. Um, a quote from Thomas Paine where it says, you know, the story of the whale swallowing Jonah is interesting, but it would be more interesting if Jonah had swallowed the whale. So <laughs> um, I do see that you're, you're kind of combining two worlds of, uh, you know, a real world, the experiences that you're expressing and this other world. So I'm just wondering how you see those two working together in your artwork. Well, in a way, um, especially um, taking that Jonah quote, um, uh, my escapism in a way was actually looking at myths and then uh, working my way towards um, myth solving through paintings. And um, so in a, because when I was growing up and hearing about all these um, war, war stories and conflicts and everything that happened like between the two communities all I, all they seemed like were like um fair, not fair tales obviously but like myths and stories that like this person did this but who knows if it's true or not it's like a myth yeah so that in a way took me to actual myths and that took me that happened through sea life and sea life myths and then so it's it's a it's actually not as complicated as it, as it sounds maybe but in my head they all make sense like I was obsessed with whales and then my tutor told me to look into myths and then I was like yeah myths because like I always I was always interested in that anyways because like even with the uh, like a simple story like Pinocchio um, everyone would worry about Pinocchio and everything but I always wondered about the whale <laughs> so there was always right. this thing about looking at the bigger picture like the bigger figure in um, stories and that took me through myths and into um, symbolism of these kind of creatures that um, like heavy especially in my biography or my, or my artistic and you can always see words like heavy mass um, biomorphic like those kind of uh, little sentences or phrases that actually mean a lot to me because they symbolize feelings and figures in a way that symbolize people in my head through seeing those animals so a, a huge whale or a huge um, turtle with a leather back a hard mass body 
might symbolize like this huge politician that everyone actually trusts and they see them as this big person that can do anything but like when you look closer to the way that I paint what is it really like the spaces that I leave the colors that I use is it more like a clown than a turtle who knows it's 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 more interesting when I paint I start making up stories for that figure that becomes a person in a way so yeah right so yeah it's all all, all a story, story journey in my head I guess I'm sure many of our listeners might not be familiar with the situation in Cyprus. And I don't know if any of you want to kind of chime in and, and try to provide a little bit more context for us to understand the situation that you're describing in terms of these two opposing militaries and, and sort of what's, what's going on there that has led to that point. <laughs> Who wants to go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, 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 if I may, I would just second that very few people I know have any awareness whatsoever about the mm -hmm. conflict in Cyprus. So please, yeah. please take it back to 101 here, <laughs> if you can. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so basically, the actual violent conflict uh, took place in Cyprus in 1974, even before um, 74. It started in the 60s between the the two communities um, in the island. I mean, um, the conflict, depending on which community you're from, is being, of course, um, interpreted differently. And it always yeah. starts from a different period of time. Uh, but uh, in the 60s, it's when uh, the Cyprus the Republic of Cyprus um, was formed in 1961. Uh, and soon after, conflict started uh, between uh, the communities, more so from the Greek Cypriot community in their effort and wish to um, join Greece. Paramilitary efforts, I mean, through this, I mean, it's, it's more complex than this because when, when uh, the actual conflict took place, it, uh, we also had guarantor powers that was kind of, uh, how do you say? Yeah, I mean, they were kind of, I mean, they were, if I remember, they were built into the kind of the constitution of the Republic of Cyprus. So there was uh, Greece, Turkey, and, and the, the UK. UK. Yeah. So before, before this, uh, Cyprus was under uh, the British, it was colony. a British colony. Yeah, so in 1974, Turkey inter, uh, intervened, intervened, um, yeah, you can the, see yeah, mm -hmm. uh, had military intervention uh, in the island to as a guarantee, uh, as one of the guarantors to protect the Turkish Cypriot uh, community from this uh, conflict that has been happening um, um, and of course, I skipped the Greek part, <laughs> uh, which was, um, again, it was a paramilitary. I think it's better to, to really mean, edit the, this. I mean, but there's a, I mean, the, the very basic general story is that there was conflict between the two majority communities um, in Cyprus leading up to 1974. Um, and those would be described today as the Greek Cypriot community and the Turkish Cypriot community. So as a, as a kind of result of this conflict, Turkish forces uh, came in 1974 and effectively 
took over the northern more or less half of the island and are still in control of that territory today. Uh, so running through the center of the island is the UN-controlled buffer zone. And on either side of that buffer zone, which ranges from just a few meters to a few kilometers wide, are uh, military forces, uh, Greek Cypriot and uh, Turkish forces on either side, uh, with the UN uh, conducting the patrols in the middle. So. Yeah, I mean, since it's, 1974, it's, it's a frozen conflict, but it's definitely an unresolved conflict. I mean, civil society is, uh, there is a, move, a peace-building movement and a peace-building dialogue, but peace negotiations between the political powers uh, have not resulted in any, uh, anything yeah. tangible. If, yeah, and if, if I may ask, does this mean that people in one half of Cyprus cannot travel freely to the other? Yeah, well... It does, okay. Currently, does. yes. <laughs> wow, okay. I was not actually well, even aware of that. It, yeah, well, we can travel. If you, if you are Cypriot, you can travel, but you just have to cross a border. Like, if you, even if you want to go to the, up, the, to the next street, which happens to be on the other side of the rainbow, as I call it, not the green <laughs> line, you just have to show your passport. And if you're Cypriot and you qualify to pass, you pass. But um, it seems quite simple when we explain it like this, but it's more complicated because we have people that say, why do we have to show our passports or our IDs to um, cross the, to the other side, which we're still a part of? Um, and we've got other people that say, why do we even have borders? Why don't you close it? And uh, all that. So um, we've got both sides of both sides of the ideology on both sides, basically. Mm -hmm. So. Um, it's quite complicated when you look at it, it that way, but it, but we only got the borders open like quite well. It seems recent enough. Two thousand and three was right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um. So um. Yeah. So the kids now that are growing, teenagers and stuff, you can say that the the whole their whole lives they could cross. But I remember when I was a little kid, like around six or seven years old. Um, and this whole mediating thing started happening and the board, one of the first borders opened and it was a huge thing. There were queues of cars from both sides trying to get to the other side. Um, my fa father, actually, the first thing he wanted with his mother was to go and see his um, house that he grew up in, which was in Lanaka on the south side, which he hadn't seen since 74. Um, so it was this huge emotional thing and now it's more um, ordinary thing like a daily thing that you actually pass to have a dinner on the other side you can walk through um, so it's getting better in a way but it's still that border thing that you have to cross and see soldiers on both sides and try and be like straightened up and all that to cross like you have that tense intensity in parts is still quite mesmerizing i'd really love to know and by the way this is this is important and fascinating because there are so many trouble areas in the world and at world beyond war we do try to have contacts and even form chapters in these different areas but at least be aware of all these conflict areas so this is really great that you are bringing this into our dialogue i'm curious 
to what extent this has seeped into the public consciousness, for instance, would you say that there are strong emotions of dissension or I'm, I'm trying to of conflict? Is there a feeling of conflict between human beings or is there more of a sense that this conflict is something that can be minimized? Are people emotionally invested in this conflict or are people on both sides trying to work past this conflict? I think there is uh, different kinds of people and different uh, views on this. So mm -hmm. uh, currently, I mean, the status for the majority of Cypriots is that they would like to have a solution, but not willing to compromise towards this solution. And it's also becoming very, this is actually being strengthened by the media and the educational systems and religious institutions that are kind of um, more so promoting national identities that would either identify with uh, Greece and Turkey and not so much about the, the Cypriot uh, mm -hmm. identity. And then you have the smaller, um, the minority, let's say, that is really um, investing a lot of energy into strengthening this Cypriot identity and trying to to find ways to to find what these compromises would look like and how to bring a peace in the island um, which is you know is not utopian it can be tangible and it can happen I, I think many many people find it very difficult to reach this stage to start um, having contact with the other communities, start accepting all, all the years that have uh, passed by and how to basically resolve the different issues um, of the conflict. I guess that's all. That's mm -hmm. basically it, yeah. As Mark mentioned, we are a global network and we have members in 175 countries worldwide and our mission, as you know, is to abolish the institution of war. So we're, you know, we're opposed to all forms of violence and all types of weapons, no matter what side it's coming from. I'm wondering if you could provide us any recommendations for ways that our membership around the world can get involved with visual voices or with these issues in Cyprus to kind of show solidarity and support for, for people. That's, uh, I'll let you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a very good question. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I have to think about that one for a second. Uh, but I mean, I think that, I mean, in general, I mean, we're also seeking to be a global organization, a global movement, and we're doing that through art. So I think that there's a couple of ways of doing that. I mean, either try to, I mean, we would love to connect, I mean, if anyone within your organization knows of artists or organization uh, from their own communities that would be interested in connecting with this, um, we would be very, very welcome to, to connecting with them. That's one of our kind of daily activities is having these kind of conversation with uh, new organizations and individuals. But I think also, I mean, as this grows, we're working on developing non-commercial platforms of expression. Um, so that will include both traditional and digital um, exhibitions, but also other ways of, of sharing these artworks um, through the creation of augmented reality and digital virtual reality, augmented reality and virtual reality um, applications in which 
uh, users from around the world can kind of look through the artworks and apply them to their own uh, their own context, their own surrounding, their own understanding of, of conflict in their communities. Really, it's about supporting the artists, looking at, at what they're expressing and trying to understand what they're, what they're talking about, maybe how it reflects to your own, their own context. Um, and then uh, at the end of the day, what we're really about is uh, trying to initiate a dialogue that challenges conflict narratives and promotes peace-supporting narratives. And so sharing these artworks or sharing their own reflections based on these artworks, what it makes uh, people feel with people around them, uh, to start talking about the absurdity of war um, and how we can move forward, how we can try to understand the perspectives of others. Maybe I'll, yeah, do you have anything to add? No, no, no. It's, uh, we, are very, we are very open and very willing and um, we are actively seeking uh, to collaborate and to develop uh, new programs and to develop our programs. So if any organization or individual would like to get in contact with us, that would be great. And we... Yeah. Look forward to that. Or, or even now, I'm sorry. Now I'm starting to think. Uh, you know, at, at some point, uh, I mean, really, we're focusing on visual arts because we also believe that um, you know through this process um, and the creation of, of something tangible, uh, that these artworks uh, can have a life of their own beyond the. Uh, project life cycle. So one of the beautiful things about this project is that uh, the artworks can then travel to other locations and continue starting this kind of dialogue and reflection. Um, so uh, as time goes on and there's more artworks produced, um, we're looking to, to continually, continuing, to continuing the exhibition of these artworks in different communities. And that, you know, that can be in any kind of organization or um, in any form. If the community is interested in bringing artworks like this to their community, uh, then with time, there will be the opportunity to do so. Mm -hmm. Artists from our network, we are also uh, working on community projects, so on different projects that are of interest to them. We, we find ways to, to support these initiatives, whether it has to do with community journalism or uh, working with children, which is not really our core uh, methodology or target group. We, we are here and we want to support the artists continue their work within their communities. So yeah, of course, and this is why we want to connect both with the organizations and create the institutional support, develop projects, seek for funding, but also uh, artists from around the world are um, constantly advising us on how to develop these projects, keep them non-commercial, how to, what artists need um, and how to respond to these needs. Part of the, the residency itself is trying to expose young visual artists to other activities or uh, campaigns or organizations around the world and hearing about their work as, as kind of an inspiration so that, you know, we talk a lot um, about arts-based peace-building organizations, uh, different examples. In, we had a conference recently where we brought 
two photographers, one from Iraqi Kurdistan and the other from uh, Germany that are working on social issues and promoting change through their work. So, you know, there's always an opportunity to connect with other organizations uh, that are interested in sharing their work as kind of um, an inspiration or more practical example of what it might look for, like for young artists as they pursue activism and combining their artistic practice with activism. Both of our organizations have clear missions and these missions are very harmonious. It seems that yours is to foster art, foster creativity, bring out new voices. Ours is specifically to end war all over the world. And that's why we're, we're glad to be working with you. Art and awareness raising and consciousness raising is such a gigantic part of that. I think I'd like to direct this question mostly to Peril, um, because you, you do live in a trouble zone, in a, I'm not sure if we call it a war zone, but certainly a conflict zone. How do you feel about the possibility of the world, not just Cyprus, but the world moving beyond the tragedy of war? Do you feel hopeful towards that? Do you feel, and you know, of course, please speak honestly and don't just give the answer that we all want to hear, but I'd really love to know your gut reaction to, to this question. <laughs> I um, well, I think I have days that I do feel a bit hopeful, but most of the days I, I feel hopeless about this, <laughs> especially this year and um, the, the past few years, to be honest. It feels uh, more and more impossible these days, which is saddening, um, but also it feels a bit idiotic as well, because um, why wouldn't there be hope, um, especially starting from your own country and moving towards it seems if you take it step by step step with these little steps why wouldn't it be impossible why why can't we do it, uh, it, it there should be hope but when you look at the whole picture it's such a mess that it seems impossible in anyone's eyes i just cannot make it in my own head to see a solution and it, it, it feels like we grew, we grew up in a world that is so messed up right now and it's getting messier and messier that I can't imagine a world that has peace, that a full peace, like how would that look like? I have no idea to be honest. Um, it seems like every country has a problem. So if no one had a problem, what would happen? <laughs> well, I, I, I honestly started thinking about these and it's quite freakish, I know, but that's how I feel like. What would happen? How would that look like? I have no idea no visual um, analysis of a utopic place like that i don't feel like that would ever exist but as at least seeing work towards that to at least try and heal parts of it is doable and we've got organization on organizations and uh, and activists and everything that work towards that but um if we've got people that think like me, at least at this point, I don't know how long that would um, continue, but um, I guess we need more hope. Even I need more hope. And I don't know where that's gonna come from, but right now we all need more hope and willingness more than anything, I guess. Well, um, so, we yeah. do hope to bring you into the World Beyond War family more where, where we deal with this question every single day. The, the yeah. question that the pessimism that you're struggling with is is what we are trying to provide answers for. 
So um, yeah, a key part great. of our work debunks the myths of war, and we talk about how war is not beneficial and it's not necessary and it's not inevitable. And really, the institution of war as we know it um, has only been around for the past eight thousand years or so. And we talk about how it is this kind of this institution or this machine that is propped up by political forces and economic profiteering from the weapons industry. And so, you know, yeah. it's it's a it's a social invention that we can end uh, if we want to. And so we're really grateful for all of your work at Visual Voices and for joining us on today's podcast. Thank you. Great talking to you all. Likewise. Likewise. Take Very care. Nice to meet you. Have a nice day. Bye. 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 Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Our podcast is now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating. Visit worldbeyondwar.org to learn more about the social and environmental impacts of the war machine and get involved in the movement for a world beyond war. Oh!